Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3pm to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, over the last, what is it, uh, a year and a bit since we've been doing this Israel Insider weekly webinar, there's been some dramatic moments and dramatic events, quite a few elections, but I don't think there's been uh, a more dramatic day uh, maybe in many years uh, of Israeli politics as there was today. As my wife put it earlier, this has been an emotional roller coaster for anyone who's been following this. Uh, so I'll try uh, you know, and make sense of it. There's a lot to cram in. First of all, let's start with the easy. The, the easy is today, there were elections for the next president of the state of Israel. Uh, the election was between uh, Isaac Herzog, formerly to the Labour Party, um, son of a previous uh, president, uh, uh, grandson, I think, of a former chief rabbi. Anyway, a, a well-known political uh, quantity in Israel against Miriam Peretz, someone who's very much favored by the people. Uh, but the election was just amongst 120 Knesset members, and it was a resounding victory for Isaac Herzog, 87, to Miriam Peretz is 27. Um, Miriam Peretz was definitely the favored person in the country and someone who has been seen as perhaps uniter within the country. Isaac Herzog, someone who has greater political and diplomatic experience, someone who can present, someone who's seen as, who can present Israel's face to the world and can have these diplomatic and high level meetings. So Isaac Herzog is, is. there wasn't too much drama uh, around that, but uh, elsewhere there was tremendous drama. So let's start at the beginning of the day because even to go back six days would, uh, would really uh, take up all of our time and then some. Um, at the beginning of the day, uh, we heard first thing in the morning that there were marathon meetings, something like 12, 14 hours straight between many of the major principles of the change camp to really try and uh, get this deal over there so uh, Yale Pitt could go before 11 o'clock, before the, uh, the vote for the president to the current president and say, I have the ability to form a coalition. Uh, that's what he needs. He needs the signatures of the major parties and uh, the makeup of the government. That didn't happen. Suddenly, we started to hear that uh, there was some rumblings in the, co in the potential coalition. First, we heard Ayelet Shaked. Ayelet Shaked, as we know, is Naftali Bennett's number two in the Amina party, who suddenly brought up uh, the issue of, which is, again, to some seen as relatively uh, irrelevant, others seen as central, the issue of uh, who's going to be the parliamentary, the Knesset representative on the committee to uh, vote in new, ju uh, new judges, new justices. Now, over the last few years, uh, the issue of the justice, the legal system, uh, the power, the activism it has has certainly become an issue for the right. Um, uh, some would say cynically it came up around the time that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's legal issues began because certainly before that it wasn't an issue and if we see uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu had no great interest in the Justice Ministry or positions uh, within that 
um, giving it away multiple times within coalition negotiations quite easily. Uh, the last couple of years, it's certainly been seen uh, as a major issue and something which uh, is probably the issue today on the right-wing agenda. As we see, there's no real movement on the Palestinian issue. Uh, so that's probably the issue. So it was, let's just say, to be a little bit cynical, clever of Yelit Shaked to bring that up because that is going to be the issue. There's a big debate uh, in Israel and amongst politicians and many of the uh, people that I spoke to, either MKs themselves, advisors of, uh, of senior principals within the change camp, whether Shaked was doing this out of principle or whether she had had enough and was using this as uh, a way to get uh, to come down and basically uh, ensure that the change camp doesn't come into existence. Um, the debate rages on exactly uh, what's happening with that. And then suddenly out of nowhere, again, maybe I'm being unfair to some, but uh, Ram, the Islamist party, uh, which is still unsure whether they'll be in the government or just supporting from outside the government, uh, brought up uh, two issues with, that are very important within the Arab public, which is um, either a freeze or a complete reversal of what's called the Kamenetz law. The Kamenetz law was a law uh, passed a number of years ago, which basically came down very strongly on illegal building. Any building that was built illegally either had to be demolished or a massive fine was put in place. Um, and uh, many of the people who built these buildings obviously couldn't afford the fine, so they just had to demolish their own building. Now, this is a big issue because the majority of the illegal building in Israel, or at least disproportionately, is in the Arab sector. Uh, for them, this was seen, the cabinet's law uh, in the Arab public was seen as something very much targeting their population. The majority of the, let's say, the non-Arab population uh, doesn't didn't even really know what the Kamenev's law was until probably today when it became an issue. The second issue Ram brought up, uh, which is uh, very important for their people, is the issue of the non-recognized Bedouin uh, towns and villages in the Negev. Now there's, over the years, a lot of Bedouin groups have basically created facts on the ground by uh, forming villages and towns uh, without approval, and then they ask to be recognized and the country doesn't recognize them, which ensures that they don't have access to the electricity grid, running water, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's a big fight because uh, a lot of these are strategically placed around uh, big Israeli towns and cities and cut them off. And there's, it's a bit of a lawless area in, in the Negev. And these are the two issues that have suddenly uh, been raised. Some argue that the, this was brought on by uh, Shaked's disagreement. Maybe Ram thought, you know what, if if Shaked is going to bring this down, we've got to at least look like uh, we also have a hand in it. Because again, as, as there may be a change government by tonight, uh, the, 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 we're talking about less than two hours now for Yair Lapid to go to the president and say, I have the ability to form a government. And if that doesn't happen, then obviously everyone will be scrambling around to try and uh, show that they stood fast. So perhaps that was what Ram was doing. What we know at this point, and again, everything is changing by the minute. It really is coming down to the wire at this point. There are meetings now currently between Abbas, Bennett and Lapid really to try and work it out. Um, Shaked tried to offer uh, a, uh, a compromise because uh, the, uh, the current uh, person who's supposed to have the Knesset representation on the committee to elect uh, new justices is Mirab Mikhaeli, the leader of the Labour Party, 
obviously a party far to the left of her. And she wanted, um, Shaked wanted to replace her. Uh, so there's been a few uh, offers and counter offers, both of them basically offering rotation to the other. In other words, two years uh, with one and two years with the other, but neither want to back down about being first. Uh, so at the moment that hasn't been solved. Uh, it could well be. And what we did see just before I came on is that the Labour Party, and it seems along, alongside Ram, uh, have basically given the green light for Lapid to go to uh, President Rivlin and say, I have a government in my hand. And then what we're going to see is then they have up to 12 days to be sworn in. Uh, what we do know as of now, uh, there can be no swearing in ceremony next week because the last date to have even arranged that was today and that obviously did not happen and obviously the Likud which controlled the speaker's office were quite happy that didn't happen so the next date we're talking about is Monday week so we're talking about quite a lot of time so there's a lot of time to work out the kinks but there's a lot of time to put pressure on and what we've seen in the last half an hour is even more drama if this change government is going to be put together and at the moment it seems and my assessment is, and you know, I could be wrong because this is changing by the minute, we've had so many up and downs, is that Lapid will go to Rivlin by midnight and say, I have a government to be formed. Uh, and then he's given uh, 12 days to actually physically form it and have a swearing in uh, ceremony. But this government is 61 uh, with everybody inside. And what we uh, witnessed and heard very recently is a member of Ayel Shaked and Naftali Bennett's party near Orbach say that he will vote against this government. Now, if that's true, and Nir Orbach is someone who has certainly expressed uh, skepticism about this government in the past, but he said that he, uh, rather than uh, making it fail, he will resign his position rather than voting against. There's been a lot of pressure on him, as there has been on all the Yamina people uh, over the last few days, if not few weeks. And it now seems that he will not give up his Knesset seat as things stand, and he will vote against. What that does is push the number back to 60. Now, 60 is obviously not a majority in the 120-seat Knesset, and that means that Lapid uh, cannot go to the, uh, uh, the president, or at least, even if he can at the moment, he won't be successful in swearing in a government in however many days it is. Every single vote matters. And there, as I said, there is tremendous pressure now. The question is, what is Prime Minister Netanyahu doing while all this is happening? And we've spoken a lot about Prime Minister Netanyahu as someone who's a, a great strategist, someone who will go much further than everybody else, who will really, you know, try and use every single lever they can, some very highly legitimate, some less so. And what we have seen, for example, this morning, and this is perhaps one of the reasons why Ram decided to suddenly go back on some of its understandings is because Prime Minister Netanyahu it's been confirmed, offered uh, Mansour Abbas, uh, the Islamist party leader, uh, basically saying, whatever they're offering you, we will offer you far more, and offered him uh, to get rid of the Kamenitz law, offered him uh, to uh, recognize the unrecognized towns and villages in the Negev, and perhaps even more. Uh, that was something that was confirmed by both parties, so he's trying to at least put a spanner uh, in the works of that particular agreement. And what we do know is the tremendous pressure, as I said, that members of Yamina and Tikva Hadashan, you hope, get on Sars party to a lesser extent, to the point where just look at Ayelet Shaked. Over the last few days, Ayelet Shaked has had non-stop demonstrations outside her house, really vicious 
incitement. She now has to have a permanent bodyguard. Um, her, her children have been physically uh, and mentally abused at school. Her best friend is on a hunger strike sitting outside her house. I mean, you can imagine the kind of pressure that this is putting these uh, members of Knesset under. I mean, it's their friends, it's their homes, it's their children. Uh, and it's not surprising that uh, some of the Yamina uh, members of Knesset are certainly uh, getting uh, a little bit of stage fright on this. It's understandable. One can imagine if someone has this day and night 24 seven outside their house, calling them a traitor, calling them all sorts of things, hoping their family members will die, dressing them up in kafirs or Nazi uniforms. This is the sort of incitement we've seen in Naftali Bennett, Ayala Shaked, and some of the other members. And, you know, not, not to point any fingers, but it's clear that, you know, there, there's, there's a small number of people who have a great interest in placing pressure. What we will, what we will know is if Lapid does uh, go to the president tonight. That's only really the first result. This is not done uh, by any uh, stretch of the imagination. The fact that we've seen within 24 hours, we've seen ups and downs, people coming down ladders, uh, other people going up ladders, is we're going to have this again for another, uh, what is it, uh, nine, uh, nine days at least until the possible swearing in. And there's going to be even more tremendous pressure. So even by tonight, whatever happens, this is not done. Even if Lapid cannot go uh, to the president tonight, it will then go back to the Knesset for 21 days where anyone who can get 61 signatures can then uh, form a government. So it could uh, conceivably happen that Lapid will not uh, be able to tell the president he can form a government, yet still be able to form a government uh, before we go to new elections. And the other way around, Lapid could go to the uh, president tonight and say, I can form a government and still not be able to form a government. And perhaps Netanyahu within the 21 days beyond that will be able to then form a government because we know that Yamina, uh, New Hope, Ram, these are the three parties at the center of things. They, none of them can afford to go to elections at the moment. They have, have really spent a lot of political capital trying to build this change coalition. Uh, Ram will not be able to go back to their people and say, look, you know, we decided to make peace with, uh, with Israel. We decided to enter a coalition for the first time, an Arab party, uh, and, and we come out short. And tick, uh, New Hope and Yamina will lose a lot of support. Uh, you know, New Hope's own, you know, pretty much only agenda was uh, to get rid of Netanyahu, and Yamina has disappointed many of its supporters. So neither of those three parties will want to go to a new election. So at the moment, the likelihood is, at least amongst their leaders, that they will try and uh, try and form this change government. But at this point, there could be a member of Ram who will decide to vote against the government. There will be it could be a member of New Hope or Yamina. So even though it's a very tense hour and three quarters, which will definitely be a, a major moment towards uh, possible uh, formation of a government, it's certainly not done until there's a swearing in. And with that, I hope I've tried to get through as much as possible, uh, but I'm happy to answer your questions. All right, thank you so much. The first question we have in is, um, why would any party trust Netanyahu, considering he reneged against Gantz and incited animosity against Arabs, specific, specifically in regards to Ram? Well, <laughs> it's a very good question, and that's why we have a change camp or parties to the right, center, and left. Parties which don't really have too many issues uh, of a similar agenda, 
But what they do have is uh, this uh, desire to get rid of Netanyahu. Now, some of it's personal, but much of it's policy. Uh, Netanyahu has sit, sat with, you know, most of the parties sitting in the change camp. He sat with Saar, he sat with Bennett, he sat with Lieberman, he sat with Gantz, he sat with the, uh, the Labour Party in the past. So pretty much, apart from merits, he sat with every one of the, uh, uh, you know, Zionist parties, let's say. Ram um, is, uh, why would Ram sit with uh, Netanyahu? It's certainly not their first choice, it seems. Uh, but again, uh, Mansour Abbas has, has said from the beginning, he will go with whoever gives him uh, the most. And while Netanyahu will, cannot be trusted as far as giving over the prime minister's office in a rotation or something of that level, he is very, very generous when it comes to ensuring the stability of his government. So as someone said today, one of the Israeli political commentators, if, if, uh, if Netanyahu could form a government uh, with Abbas, uh, and the only demand he made was to be uh, defense minister, Netanyahu would make Mansour Abbas defense minister. And that, uh, although it sounds very cynical and very unlikely, uh, to a certain extent, there's some, there's some truth to that. So Netanyahu will go further than anybody else, but still there, there's, there's a big trust gap uh, there. Um, and the other parties simply have had enough of all these uh, promises. Uh, and as I said, most of these people have worked side by side with Netanyahu for the last 10, 15 years, and in Liebman's case, even longer. And they've seen um, how that's worked out. So they are determined to, as much as possible to try and get rid of Netanyahu. Understood. And does the Arab list play a role at all, aside from Ram? And have they been promised anything? No. Um, at, uh, it's. At the end of the day, they could play a role when it comes to the actual swearing in, but they've got no interest. Don't forget, as much as they don't like Netanyahu, uh, their main competitor today is Ram. So they certainly won't want to see Ram uh, be part of a government, uh, get uh, maybe budgets, get rid of certain laws that they don't like, and be, basically be seen as the hero of the Arab street. That's something which they certainly wouldn't want to do for their own internal political reasons, but uh, at this point, they're, they're basic bystanders to, to what's going on. And one more question on this topic. Uh, Stephen Orlow asks, is there any feedback from the Likud MKs themselves regarding the alleged promises Bibi made to Ram regarding the fines for illegal housing in the Bedouin encampments in the Negev? Um, there's a lot of discomfort uh, surrounding that. Uh, at the moment, up until uh, the mandate was passed over until appeared when Netanyahu had a chance of the mandate. They were quite happy to sit back and let Bezalel Smotrich be the bad guy, quote unquote, and say that he will not allow uh, Ram to be part of a government or even have a government or be in a government which is supported from the outside by Ram. So uh, there was a lot of disquiet amongst the, the liquid, especially the more right wing uh, members, but they were happy to sit back uh, and, you know, sort of take the heat off themselves and, and let Smotrich lead on that. Uh, but there has been a lot of disquiet in the Likud, especially amongst the, let's say, the bigger names about all these offers that have been made. Uh, Netanyahu offered a three-way uh, rotation where Saar would serve for one year, I believe, and then Netanyahu for two years, and then Bennett for, for the final year. And they say, why are you offering everybody else but no one in Likud? Their argument would be the moment that he uh, gives rotation to someone else, and in fact, Yisrael Katz, the finance minister actually came out with uh, something on the news 
if someone else would be first in the rotation, then Sarn Bennett would have, they're saying is in government, uh, because the moment that he would step aside or go second in rotation uh, is the moment that a right-wing government uh, would be formed. So we're hearing a lot of disquiet uh, behind the scenes, um, but I think at the moment they will remain behind the scenes until perhaps if, the, if this government comes in and they could have to go uh, to the uh, opposition. Uh, but what is most interesting, and I always say to people, to really understand the pulse of the Likud, see who's coming out as the Likud spokespeople on the news. And if it's the, you know, unknown, relatively unknown backbenchers, you know, number 27, 28 on a list of 30, you know that this is, this is just basically uh, uh, Netanyahu's henchmen and women uh, coming out. We haven't heard anything from the big names, uh, Barkat, we haven't heard anything from Edelstein. We haven't heard anything from Katz apart from that uh, offer. Uh, and all these sort of high level uh, liquid people have just not been appearing in media. So I think that tells you a lot about where they're sitting at the moment. Thank you. This question from Len Levin. Is it still possible for Netanyahu to win out and what must he do in order to bring about this event? What has been his major failings this time as well? So there is still a chance, as I said, if, uh, the, uh, if the change government doesn't happen, then we have 21 days where it's handed to the Knesset. Now, uh, at this point, you have to have 61 signatures for one member of Knesset. It could be any one of the 120. Obviously, Netanyahu would be foremost in that. Uh, and there's a possibility, as I said before, that uh, Bennett and Saar, who knows who else, may think, you know what? At this point, it's either Netanyahu or elections which could wipe me off the political map. Uh, so it is possible that that would happen. Uh, it is possible that he could offer uh, perhaps uh, Naftali Bennett, as he did before, or even Gidon Saar, just an amazing offer, even not even necessary to stop elections, but to bring them into the list and make sure that uh, after elections that uh, they'd have a stronger case to try and form a government. Uh, his, his biggest failings is there's just a massive trust deficit. Um, even today, you know, I, I talked very briefly about the presidential elections and the question is asked, why was there no right wing obvious candidate uh, put up? Why, why didn't Bibi, uh, why didn't Netanyahu put up a, a candidate that was favorable to him? Quite simply because he could not trust anyone. There's no one he could trust. And there's no one uh, that if it was, obviously seen as a stooge for Netanyahu, anyone else would trust him, probably bring uh, as much opposition as anything else. So it's clear that even the presidential elections were not unaffected by the lack of trust in Netanyahu today. He has very, very few supporters. He's still at this point in time untouchable in the Likud, and that's why you don't see open revolution within the party against him. That could change in the coming weeks and months, depending on the situation. But at the moment, he is still the leader of the right-wing bloc. Um, but he is losing more and more friends and allies by the minute. Along those lines, from Len Getz, do you think if Netanyahu stepped down, Yamina, New Hope, Lieberman, and Likud would be able to form a government? Um, I missed a little bit about that, but I think I understood the question. If and if. 
Netanyahu did step down, I think it would certainly be easier uh, for Bennett and Saar uh, with that government if he will not sit with the ultra-Orthodox at this moment. So I think the first two, yes, Saar and, uh, and Bennett would probably almost certainly come back, or at least they wouldn't have any other excuses not to come back. But I think for Liebman, uh, the presence of the ultra-Orthodox would still be problematic. Thank you. And from Robin Jonas, what message will be sent to Hamas and Fatah if an Arab party becomes part of the Israeli government? It's an interesting question. Uh, you can look at it in a number of ways. Uh, Ram is an Islamist party. It's a religious um, <coughs> uh, Muslim party, part of the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, which has more moderate wings, has more extreme wings, Hamas as one of them. Uh, Abbas has certainly tried to uh, present himself as a more moderate wing. Uh, perhaps if, I mean, on the positive side, perhaps if there is this greater coordination, cooperation at the highest levels, at decision-making levels, between uh, an Arab party and an Islamist party at that, and the Jewish majority, that could actually perhaps even uh, harm this narrative that Hamas is saying that you know the Arab world is against Israel, Israel is against the Arab world, they have nothing to do with each other, look how they treat us, etc., etc. So it could perhaps harm that narrative. Uh, there are those who believe it's a bit of, uh, who, who still believe, especially uh, on the right, who believe that Ram is a Trojan horse, that it's speaking nice at the moment, that it's being moderate, it's saying all the right things, but secretly it's still uh, uh, holding the same views as it did a number of years ago, where you know, there were far more problematic uh, comments in favor of uh, uh, terrorists uh, and against Israel and against the IDF, etc. Um, it's, it's very difficult to tell, obviously. Uh, what I can say is Mansour Abbas has been on a charm offensive, uh, you know, uh, on Israeli TV. He's now a regular. Uh, some of his talk Uh, they have become a major part of the conversation and the fact that they want to be part of this government um, is uh, something that I think is seen by many as a positive, uh, but it remains to be seen exactly how that would look at the end of the day. Thank you. And from Robin, Robert Scarloff, uh, could you please explain the U.S. impact, noting, for example, Gantz supposedly pledging to Biden's people that he'll freeze settlements? I haven't heard any pledges to free settlements, and I doubt uh, that either side would be prepared to do this at the moment. Obviously, <clears throat> Netanyahu can't do that because you know, he's the leader of the right wing, uh, right -wing uh, bloc uh, with the Religious Zionist Party, which is uh, most extreme right wing. So obviously, they would not accept that. And Yamina, which is a right wing party, and Kedon Saar's party, which is a right wing party, let alone Abitra Lehman, some of the others certainly wouldn't uh, accept that. Uh, so I haven't heard anything uh, like that, and I doubt anything like that has been um, has, has been suggested at this point. Uh, the Biden administration at this, uh, it, you know, it's not so relevant to these negotiations. Prime Minister Netanyahu did uh, raise the issue yesterday, but I think it's part of his uh, trying to look tough, trying to look like the only one who can lead Israel. When he said, "If I have to choose between pleasing the American administration, our friends," or uh, you know, allowing uh, a, an existential threat to appear, in other words, the Iranian nuclear weapon, 
I'll obviously uh, choose, uh, I know which way I'll choose. Uh, so that's the only really time it's been mentioned over the last uh, uh, few days, but uh, the, the, the Biden administration, I'm assuming is staying out largely. Uh, I'm sure they're watching, I'm sure with great interest and probably a lot of confusion like the rest of us, uh, but they're not really a factor in what's going on at this point. All right, great, thank you. Uh, along those lines, would any future government, especially the Change Coalition, be willing to take the risk of being condemned for civilian casualties? Uh, I guess this is more in line with uh, when rockets are coming from Gaza and then Israel fires back and the world says, don't you dare, is the preface to that, sorry. Well, that, that will, I mean, the, the question of how a changed government with left, with right, with center, with support of an Islamist party on the outside, how it will react to security questions is really going to be probably one of the biggest tests. <coughs> and I'm sure Hamas and Hezbollah and all of uh, Israel's enemies will probably want to test it early on. And that could create uh, certain cracks. I think it would all depend exactly how they would deal with it. Because again, you would find people on the right who would want a very robust response. And then you would have the Islamists or the extreme left of uh, the sort of Zionist uh, uh, political map who would certainly want something less. Perhaps they would even want more diplomatic uh, steps. But I think everyone knows going into this that they need to compromise. They need to try and find a way to work together. They need to try and focus on issues where they can work together on issues which don't divide them, maybe health issues, construction, uh, transportation is a big issue. Um, the coronavirus, you know, the, the economic recovery. Um, these are all issues which don't really divide. I mean, there'll certainly be different views on how to deal with these, but they're not massively divisive uh, issues. Whereas uh, how to respond to Hamas or what to do if there should be uh, an intifada in uh, the West Bank, uh, Judea and Samaria, those are certainly going to be massive, massive tests for such a unwieldy government. So it remains to be seen if and when this government gets put together, how it will deal with those situations. And the last question of today uh, from Rod and Carol Ann Margolis. How long would a change government last, do you think? <laughs> if I was a betting man, I wouldn't put too much money on it lasting more than a year. Uh, again, because you know it, it's, it's in the interests of any opponent, not just to Israel, but with, uh, say to the change government to try and put as much pressure and as many tests as possible. Um, my personal view is Netanyahu won't necessarily resign from public life. He'll go uh, into the opposition as the leader of the opposition. He'll hold snap uh, liquid primaries to make sure that the effect of him losing power will not, uh, will not you know, the longer it's seen as someone else in, but the Balfour residence, the prime minister's office, the more the effect will have that he's lost and it's time for him to go. But if he does it early on, there'll still be this feeling of discontent enough to say we were robbed of these elections and we have to uh, rally around our leader. So I think my view is, uh, if I had to make a prediction, that Netanyahu will become a very, very vocal and robust leader of the opposition, um, still with many of the mechanisms that he's built up over the last year, very strong um, social media following, <coughs> a, a tremendous uh, supportive base, and he'll just be waiting for the change government uh, to fall uh, at any moment. And perhaps he'll even do better in the elections after that by saying, look what happens when I'm not in power. 
So that would certainly be my, that my prediction. And one never knows, they're going to try and put some um, clauses in the coalition agreement to make sure it lasts as long as possible. Because uh, obviously it's in uh, Yale Lapid's interest for it to last long enough that he enters the prime minister's office after two years. But certainly if I had to put money on it, I'm not sure that I would put too much money on it lasting longer than a year. All right, well, thank you so much. We've come so close for our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. For our viewers and listeners, we will not be having a webinar on Fridays going forward, but please still join us each Monday at 1 p.m. Uh, and next week will be Ephraim Karsh. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a great day.